everything you own has gone down in value. There is no thing that went up in value other than the U.S. dollar. Energy stocks down, utilities down, defensive down, consumer down. Pick them, they're down. That's what happens when markets go negative. Welcome to Tomorrow's News. I'm Rush, and this week, Gavin explains what's going on with rising inflation, the recession, whether crypto is going to see further lows, how China could export deflation, and what's likely to be in Tomorrow's News. Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Hi, Gavin. It's nice to have you here again today. Like you said, you've been traveling a bunch. You've not been holed up in a hotel room and you have a lot to tell me. So what's happening in the market? What do you think is important? What do you think I should know? What do you think our listeners should know? So I've been wandering around LA with a mask on. People in LA do not wander around with a mask on, by the way, even less so in Texas. What's been happening? Now, of course, in any city, if you're only in one part of the city or you're only seeing one population, you shouldn't draw too many conclusions. But here's a couple of conclusions that I draw about the U.S., both from being in Austin, Texas and being here in L.A. And that is that I think all Australians would be astonished at the level of homelessness in most cities in America, certainly in Austin, Santa Monica, Venice, downtown L.A. I'm wondering, like, why is that relevant? Why is it relevant? Because I think it speaks to one of the biggest problems in America, which is that America is undertaxed. The poor are getting poorer. And if you slip off the edge in America, there is no saving you. And, um, and that's a structural problem, right? I mean, that leads to a lot of divisiveness, challenges. Well, like most middle-class Americans are a crisis closer to poverty than to becoming a millionaire or a billionaire. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, I think forget the middle class, it's ever shrinking. At the bottom, while wages have been going up, I mean, one of the things we've observed is wage inflation in large part in the service and hospitality area, but wages are going up less than inflation. And part of that big inflation challenge is energy. Now we can point to the Ukraine, but we can also point to ESG and all sorts of other things. At the end of the day, wage inflation looks severe, but real wages are dropping for Americans. So there isn't the broad taxation to provide the services. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation. And so people are ever closer to just sort of falling off the edge. And if you wander around, you will find that many people are awfully close to that edge. Yeah, like that disparity in that gap being that massive and like that much wider. But also, could you tell us why we're talking about this? Americans, I think, think of this as a very middle-class egalitarian society. The middle class is, we know it's shrunk more than it's ever shrunk before. But in all that I've said, there's a macro concern, right? Because yeah. we have shrunk a massive amount of GDP with the shift in the Fed's interest rate stance. So the simple observation would be that we pumped a massive amount of liquidity into the market helping stocks and bonds to rally to incredible levels, made everybody rich. But there was really no sustainability in that. I mean, it was a trade. It wasn't real economic progress. 
And so what we've done, of course, is we've taken that stimulus away. And what we've seen is the economy quickly shrinks. And I think on July 1st, we're going to get the ISM figures. Sorry, could you give me a quick explanation of what the ISM is? So the ISM is one of the many study done which really gives you a broad sense of the forward look of businesses in terms of are businesses more positive about their purchasing and forward behavior. And so anything over 50 is good. If you're at 50.1, it means that in aggregate, you are doing more purchasing. You are growing versus shrinking. Anything below 50 means that we're going backwards. And so okay. we've been going forwards more and more slowly for some months now, but we haven't been going backwards. But, you know, I think it would be a view that I hold that we could already be in this quarter in technical recession. Um, you know, the problem of high cost of labor is people don't hire and they don't grow as uh, the, the prices of goods come down and retailers are laying off folks as Coinbase lays off thousands of people and so forth. We really could be in a period of retrenchment in terms of corporate behavior. Now, certainly the consumer is negative. All of the studies have suggested that the consumer is very cautious about the future, right? The consumer is greatly impacted by gas prices, greatly impacted by food outside the home, every price you can imagine. Increasing rent, increasing cost of living. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the consumer is pulling back a lot of the spending because savings is a good thing, but it's not enough. Japan has lots of savings and it has no growth. So what you need is consumer spending. Spending is spending. When you go and spend money, you're saying something about the future. You're saying, if I get rid of this currency to acquire this good, I believe that I will be able to reacquire more currency to do other things, feed my family or buy more goods or whatever. If you're really worried your income is under threat or your net worth is under threat, you don't buy a new couch, right? You just don't. And so, so the consumer is backing off very rapidly and that backing off is terrible for the economy. For all the advice out there that says, for God's sakes, people save more. It's actually terrible advice for the economy. You need people to spend. It's one of the great things about Americans. If you give them a dollar, they spend a dollar ten. And you need them to spend, and they are slowing spending. And that, that is the world we are in right now. Why are we in that world? Well, we've had a whole bunch of global issues we all know about. And those issues, along with a flood of capital, have led to a very pronounced increase in prices. And the question is, will those prices moderate on an absolute basis? Or will they go backwards? Well, that would be nice, but it's, you know, it's not really something we, we worry about. It's that they stop going up. So we saw this incredible spike in inflation. When you decompose it, Energy is incredibly important. Rent's incredibly important. Services are incredibly important to that. But there are also some time issues, right? So it's now summer. People are outdoors. They're dining out. They're going out. It's school holidays. There's all that hospitality spending that they've been planning on. 
Uh, but we're seeing real retrenchment in terms of prices of goods and in terms of consumer spending at retailers. Seeing used car prices start to come back down. We've seen mortgages go to north of 6% and the interest in people acquiring home decline the fastest it's declined in many, many years. So we see a lot of the pressure on inflation coming up just at the moment the Fed sort of freaked out, raised 75 basis points, seeing another 75. And so what I'm seeing out there is the Fed is panicked. They should have been doing more in the fall of last year. They didn't. And the market has adjusted everything, including the bond market, for the max worst case. Now, sometimes the market adjusts for the max worst case, and it gets a whole hell of a lot worse than that. Okay, it's certainly possible. It is possible that China continues to lock down, that there are no goods available from China. It is possible that there's some sort of a supply chain issue in the energy market. It is certainly possible that there are continued um, supply chain issues in, in global food. But at the end of the day, they're pretty darn unlikely. You know, I'd put a relatively low probability on those occurring and a higher probability of what I'd call normalization. And so, again, you don't know 100% either way. I would say that the weight has shifted to the market is accommodated for the Fed's repositioning of interest rates. There will be some disruption in markets and some potential problems, but now is the time to be adding to equities. Everybody is negative. The S&P is now getting down towards some pretty critical levels. I just threw a chart around saying, yes, the forward EBD, EBITDA on stocks like Meta and Google and those are as cheap as they've ever been. Now, there's some danger to that too. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to buy securities now, what are you waiting for? Right. So, and that doesn't mean, go ahead. In the first podcast we did, I remember you telling me that at some point, we're all going to be buying beaten up equities. I think you said it might not be Apple and Tesla, but there will be a point where the market will just have a lot of beaten up equities. So do you think that is the point we're at now that this is when, as you were saying, people should be looking at equities and we're finally reaching that bottom? Look, it's a complex argument because if we're actually going to have a deep recession, it's too soon to buy equities. If we're going to have a shallow recession, we're probably getting into the zone. If we're going to have no recession at all, you're going to be fine. What we don't know is how deep this recession is and how long it lasts and how global it is and so forth. So we're not going to know that until it's, well, it's too late, yeah. right? I mean, by the time we have all that data, the stocks would have done a whole lot of different things. So what we need to do is sort of gauge ourselves around what's most likely. So the Fed never gets to raise interest rates as much as it wants to in this cycle, largely because the economy starts to soften 
unemployment starts to tick up. And the Fed says, look, I've largely done my job, right? I've dampened demand. I've begun to normalize the world. I'm going to slow how aggressive I'm going to be so that I don't basically push the economy off a cliff. Now, there are some pundits who would say, oh, no, Gavin, you're wrong. The Fed is an inflation fighter now. And that means... So long as inflation sits on a trend basis well above sort of a 2 to 3% range, they are going to keep hammering away. Well, I mean, what that sort of suggests is that they're a one data point animal, and they're not. And, and I think what the lesson learned from prior cycles is you do a lot of damage fundamentally to the economy when you do that. You think that's a lesson the Fed has learned? Look, we don't even know what we're learning. We don't know who learned it. We don't know. I think it's probable that if you are uh, on the board of the Federal Reserve, you do not want to be responsible for basically pushing an economy into a deep recession that is difficult to recover from. To the extent that you believe that you uh, left interest rates too low too long, you probably also don't believe that, oh, well, I'll just normalize things and the economy be damned. It's just got to take care of itself. At the end of the day, you cut interest rates because you're worried about the path of the economy and recovery in a COVID environment. You're raising interest rates to try to mitigate some of the negative impacts of that, but you're not bloody minded about it. And so I think what happens is that the Fed probably gets somewhere, maybe two, two and a half max. And the market's done the job. Market's already raised mortgage rates. The market's already jacked up Fed funds rates. It's already uh, the slope of the curve two to tens is negative. It's telling you there's slowing in a recession coming. The market believes the Fed will start to cut rates in the middle of next year. It'll probably happen sooner. So there is an incredible opportunity for equity investors to start getting in, in the market with a three to five year view. If you tell me you've got a six-month view, I'm finding it tough to make that trade. If you've got a six-month view, you're probably going to need to wait for some of those really damaging days, basically days when people say it's all over, right? And you're probably going to have to buy on those days. And if you buy now, you know, not necessarily going to lose all your money, but I think you've got no assurance in the next six months you're going to have a positive return. Now, what stands against my argument? Well, this has been probably amongst the worst 10 days in the S&P, I think in history. I don't have the data. I mean, it's been an absolute bloodbath. And I don't care what you've owned. Everything you own has gone down in value. There is no thing that went up in value other than the U.S. dollar. Energy stocks down. Utilities down. Defensive down. Consumer down. Pick them. They're down. That's what happens when markets go negative got slaughtered in your bond portfolio, corporate bonds, treasury bonds. I don't care what, you know, you got slaughtered. Every asset down, 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 down. So, you know, should have sold or it's, you know, uh, it's a disaster. I got to get out of equities. No, what you need to do now is you need to say to yourself, what's more likely, right? If you have some view that the world is ending, uh, you, you, well, look, if you have that view, uh, what I say doesn't matter anyway. I think you'll have different, like, bigger problems if you have that view. You mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you, you know, you, well, how do you stock your bunker with <laughs> canned goods? I think it's your issue, right? Yeah. What kind of ammo do you buy? <laughs> um, 
But if you don't, if you think that, look, over time, markets mostly go up, which is true. Over time, economies generally grow. You want to be purchasing securities. You want to be leaning into risk, or as some might say, you want to be greedy when others are fearful. Generally, if you look at the, the, the charts, you look at the stats, when you have this bad start to the year, generally you have a pretty good end to the year. Not necessarily always good, but by and large, you end up with a pretty good recovery rally. And I can show you that looking in 2000, 2001, I can show you pretty much any period. So do you think that's sure. probable here? Because I also don't think we've had a year before that involved coming out of a two-year pandemic, other global crises, war, climate change. And I don't think we've had a year with all of these things. Yeah, I mean, you say that, Rish, but, you know, so narcissistic that, you know, Ours is the most important experience of all time and so different and whatever. And it just is a bit of the day, you know, so we can draw all of these parallels to prior period. There's always something. It is just simply not true that it is just sunny outside and there's a light breeze and, you know, it's going to be a beautiful day right? It just doesn't go that way. At the end of the day, markets climb a wall of worry. There's always something to worry about. Always, always, always. If you're waiting for the all clear, you're probably going to buy the top, the day of the top. Okay. That's, that's fair. I mean, no, all of that, all of that said, Rich. Yes, we, we've got a whole bunch of things going on all at once, but at the end of the day, those same human decisions that got us in will get us out and they'll get us out for the same, for simple reasons, right? At, at some level, it's just true that if you keep people locked up, you're going to really struggle with economic growth. And so you don't even need to know very much. The only thing you need to know is if you keep everyone in China locked up, you're not going to have any economic growth. And there's only one of two things you can do there. You can either free people, or you can vastly stimulate the economy much the same way we did in the West. So got a couple of choices, pick one and away you go. And that's actually why I like China in the moment, because I think that China really opens up here, which I think it will, or it massively stimulates the economy in order to resume a growth path. And it's got to do that even more aggressively, given that the rest of the world is slowing their economy and that the rest of the world is ever more conscious of diversifying supply chain and promoting local production and so forth. So there is no question. I like China's trade. I like what I'm seeing in terms of the direction of travel. They're trying to get out of this whole COVID thing. And generally that China will export deflation. One of the weird beneficiaries of the Russia-Ukraine war is actually China, right? How so? Because China is, because um, they don't have much oil and gas. Their largest supplier of oil is now Russia. And their advantage is because no one else can buy Russian oil. They get to buy it at a discount, pretty healthy discount. I think they were buying it as low as 80 bucks. So they get to buy Russian oil at a discount to the world, which is great for them. And of course, Chinese inflation has actually been really low. I mean, it's been 2% or less. So 
they don't have to worry about inflation. They can cut rates, they can stimulate the economy, they can do different things. Now they've got a really high aggregate debt level on the economy, which they've been trying to delever. But, you know, all of the best laid plans. So I think China will continue to um, do everything they can to promote consumer spending, open the economy, and probably export a hell of a lot of goods deflation in the meantime. Now, I just closed out on one of my um, short energy. I think with markets opening, energy is the price of oil spiked a little bit, but I'm still structurally short. I think that overall energy remains one of the biggest problems for inflation and one of the easiest ones to cure. So by China buying all this Russian oil, it means that the Saudis can deliver that oil to other places, which they're going to do. Biden is going to Saudi Arabia in July. If you're Joe Biden, you want to get reelected. You got to do what you can do. Yeah. So I'm just going to circle back to you talking about China and saying that they're going to export deflation. And I was wondering yeah. if you'd share more about what you think is going to be in tomorrow's news with that and what that means. Like, what should I do about it? What should people do about it? What should our listeners do about it? Well, well, don't buy a washing machine yet. I can tell you that Christmas sweaters are going to be 50% lower in price than last year. Um, at the end of the day, there's a massive backlog in goods that are landing on our shores today and being unpacked. Target's already writing them down. China's continuing to produce them. They don't have inflation, wage inflation, energy price inflation. So they can produce running shoes to, you know, Santa hats for less than they ever have before. And that means that goods inflation is, is going to continue to decline. And that's, that's generally good news for the consumer, right? And it may hit everything that the people want to buy from TVs to socks. And so that's a positive. The other thing, of course, tariffs are a weird thing, right? Because what did Donald Trump say about tariffs? He said, I'm going to put these massive tariffs on Chinese goods and the Chinese are going to pay for them. Now, unfortunately for Donald, it turns out that the Chinese don't pay for them. Consumers pay for them, right? Yeah. When Santa hats used to be a dollar, but now with the tariff, they're a dollar 20. The guy in China doesn't sell you the hat for 80 cents, right? Yeah. Right. The guy in China basically tries to get as close to a dollar as he did before. And he probably does if there's demand and the consumer pays a dollar 20. Now it's not quite perfect like that. There's always a little bit of accommodation. Split like the burden of it ends up on like with the consumer. So. Like, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, so what do you do? Well, you, you cut tariffs 20%. Now, if there's a big Santa hat manufacturer in Des Moines, Iowa, he's going to be pretty upset because he's been protected because maybe he's got a higher cost structure, but by and large, that's not the problem we have right now. The problem we have right now is Santa hats are too expensive. They're going up in price. So I just cut the price of Santa hats 20% when I took the government tax off. Now, will prices go down immediately? No, but competition being what it is, in general, it will lead to price deflation, right? You just imagine on Amazon, Santa hat, $2. Santa hat, $1.50, same hat. People are buying the $1.50. Sure. You know. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I think Biden has that within his power and he'll probably do it. 
I think that's good for the Chinese. I think it's good for Americans. I think it'll lead to a lot of discounted goods and some margin compression. But at the end of the day, it's going to cause a bunch of deflation. And that's going to allow the Fed to not raise rates as much. And that's going to allow mortgage rates to go down and, you know, new housing developments to employ lots of workers and so and so. And things normalizing slowly. Things normalizing. I think things normalize faster than people think. And I think the economy weakens faster. And I think that the Fed goes back to cutting rates pretty darn quick. And the U.S. dollar is massively overvalued here. They're quite ready to short it yet, but I would be of the view that we're getting close. Thank you. Do you have anything else you think I should know or listeners should know? The one thing we should probably cover quickly is just Bitcoin. Sure. Because I've had some people ask some questions. So Yeah, what's happening with Bitcoin, guys? So what's going on with Bitcoin, all right? I mean, obviously, massive negative sentiment, all kinds of market issues and so forth. But I think the challenge with assets like this is that they are completely sentiment driven. And so price levels matter, right? It's why charts kind of matter more for stuff like Bitcoin, Ethereum, is because there's not really anything else to rely on, right? I mean, you can sort of make up other... There's not much else driving it. Not really no fundamental earnings or revenue or whatever. Now there are things that are being built on top of Bitcoin, but nonetheless, it's really about sentiment. So big numbers tend to matter. 30,000, 20,000, 15 to 17,000, 10,000, all these numbers matter. There's no right answer. There's no answer that says, well, Bitcoin can't go to 10,000. Bitcoin can go to any number. Bitcoin wants to. Again, it's what is the most probable and where do you start to see changes in behavior? We think that you could see one more dump here down towards that $17,000 level and that sell-off will flush out a whole lot of the leveraged longs that are left. There aren't many, but there's some. And then once that occurs, we're probably into a pretty good buy signal. Now, that rally could have started already and we could never see 17,000. We don't know. We're a long way from having an all clear sign. I would say that if people are thinking about Bitcoin, then somewhere from where we are today down into the 17,000 level is probably where you want to be buying. You probably want some sort of a stop below that just in case I'm completely wrong and we go to 10,000 because there's no reason to wear all of that loss. I think that I'm not more pessimistic. I'm just realistic that the 20,000 number, which it's currently holding, by the way, is not reacting exactly as I thought it might in terms of being an inflection point. That is, there's not enough negative market behavior. There's too much positive market behavior. And it suggests that it may not be the turnaround point. I'm probably more concerned about some things I'm seeing in crypto in terms of the audience. But even there, I'm more optimistic. Like what? I'm more optimistic about ecosystem growth, the amount of revenue that certain um, protocols like Aave, Uni, and even Synthetics are generating. So at the margin, I'm, I'm more of a buyer than a seller here. I have no short positions at the moment. I have some light longs. Um, I don't have as much conviction as I would like to have, but I'm trying to get there. Cool. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you for catching me up. No, that was fantastic. Thank you. 
That was tomorrow's news with Gavin. We'll be back next week.